All right, I want to make sure I'm on. You guys can hear me live? We're no masks on? I said earlier, um, when I was a young, younger man, and now I can say because I'm looking back more than I'm looking forward, um, what I used to wear a watch when I was a car salesman. As you guys have known, I was a car salesman one time. And then there was a period of time when I took the watch off, and I felt like I would look down to my wrist, and I'd just say, can I say this? I felt naked around my wrist. So um, now that I don't have to wear a mask it feels a little weird this morning because it feels, can I use the word again, naked around my face. So uh, welcome, welcome, even Facebook Live for a couple more weeks. We welcome you. We encourage you all to come on out. Uh, we're excited about being in the room, excited about being uh, able to talk and have conversation without worrying about breathing through a piece of cloth. Now, for those of you who have to or believe you, please do so. It's just not required for you to do so, as mentioned before by Pastor Dennis. So uh, we're excited that you are here today, and we want to keep moving forward into our last week of our what we call our GRIT series, as we looked at the book of Daniel for the first six chapters. Um, now, the grit, we haven't used the specific words, but it stands for God, honor, resolve, intentionality, and tenacity. And we were looking at Daniel and the three Hebrew boys as well, looking at how they began to navigate through their world when they were in a foreign world, one that they were not citizens of the empire that they were living in. They were oppressed servants from Israel, overtaken, deported. And we understand the story from the 70-year captivity, and we'll hope to at least tie that up for chapter 6. But obviously, we know that 7 and through 12 is more prophecy-related. We're just touching on the narrations of the storylines with chapters 1 and 6. But entitled this, this week is, uh, as, as I entitled the sermon, it's Shatter Your Ceiling. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute. But have you ever thought about your walk with God and how sometimes what we do is we set a ceiling, uh, we set what we, we set a bar, let's call it a bar, like a line that says, I'm only going to go this far with my faith. We all do it. Let's not just uh, look at ourselves and think, oh, Bruno, you're calling me out. No, I'm not calling you. I'm calling myself out. We all set a bar. We only get so far. And sometimes we do it in what we would call not, and I'll say the word ignorance because we don't understand. Because we live in a nation where we have a lot of conveniences, a lot of comforts, and we only go so far because what we see is what we get, and we tend to walk in our faith in that manner. So if you look at Facebook, you look at any postings, most people are posting, they're posting about the things that are going on in their lives. Nothing wrong, we all do it, but sometimes we live in a world where it's challenging to be able to say, how can I come out? How can my ceiling break so that God would want to raise my ceiling so that my faith can grow? And as my faith grows, then I can now go from being compromising to uncompromising. Because that's what Daniel did. That's what Daniel was in the midst of. If he were to, say, set the bar low and the ceiling low, what would have happened to Daniel? I don't think he would have made it past chapter 2. I really don't believe that. But because he didn't create a ceiling and said, God, here I am, your servant, unlimited. Make the ceiling as, as high as you want it to be. Lord, I will trust in you. Even in the midst of the circumstances where he was staring death in the eye, often. About us. In America, we're not often as Christians staring death in the eye. We just have some of our inconveniences and we are 
going and unraveling and responding, reacting, and getting angry about things that are, and I'm included, getting frustrated about the littlest things in our lives that we forget about what's most important. And so I just wanted to ask the question, what are some of the uncompromising values in our lives? Um, you know, I got to be honest with you, you know, having to be a parent of four children and setting what I call uncompromising rules in my house, maybe not values, but rules. We would always set, um, you know, set rules, at least I would. I would say, hey, no eating on the couch. I don't want you making any mess, okay? Get you. And uh, they, they killed that rule. My kids have just, they just said, well, yeah, okay, dad, okay. And I lift up the couch and I lift up the pillows and there's just all kinds of food. I'm like, what's growing down here? I mean, I think some seeds have planted and like, then I'm starting to see some come out of these springs. But I'm just sitting there and I'm like cleaning and I'm a clean freak. So I'm like, oh, man, that didn't work. What should I do? And I've tried really hard for years. I'd be like, you know, okay, if you don't do that, I'm going to take that away from you. And that just doesn't work a whole lot either. But, but here's the thing though. We have all kinds of, don't touch my spaghetti and meatballs. You touch my spaghetti and meatballs, you're done, okay? You don't touch that. And, you know, the spaghetti's there and it's gone in an hour because I have a son who just eats, out of, eats me out of house and home all the time. If I have a meal there, I got to, like, lock it up, put it in my safe, and hope that it doesn't go bad by the next day or in an hour because the food's gone. I'm thinking about locking up the refrigerator and putting on a code there. Do, 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 do. You can't get in. So, I mean, you have all these rules in your house, and you want to make sure everybody, you know, abides by them. But... It's not about uncompromising rules. It's about uncompromising values, what we call core values. And I looked something up uh, because I wanted to see what was out there for companies or even ministries, and we have them on our website. And I looked up, and I, what happened when I was Googling it, it, it came up a company or a law group. And I won't share the name of the law group, but it's located in Seattle, Washington. And here are some of the uncompromising values. It actually lists it, uncompromising values. And this law firm, this law group, has these listed here, authenticity. Now, I don't know about you, but when you think about a lawyer, you're not always thinking about authenticity. I mean, that's in the line of a car salesman. I'm just sorry, but it's like you're not thinking of authenticity because they're making a lot of money, and they just want to get you in, get you out, and they want to be able to get a case in. They're always you know, competing with other law firms. But there's authenticity. There's communication. And with communication, they're saying that they want to listen to their clients, work with them with, with a listening ear, with full attention. Um, they're not just looking at it just a dollar bill or, or a person who's just going to help them make money, but really listen. Compassion. Wow. Oh, the compassion. And, um, and then they want integrity. It's very important that there are people of integrity and they would work with their, with their clients. Justice. And then as I scroll down the page, I noticed there was Bible scriptures there. There were scriptures from the Bible. And as you go out and you go back in, you go out and you go, they, they have a rotating scriptures just going in and out on this page. I was like, wow, these people are serious. I mean, they're believers. They're serious. They're committed. They, they lay it all out, uncompromising values. They weren't going to settle for anything less. And then I said, let me, let me see if there's another thing um, that lays it out. And, and, and here's another thing they have on their website, what others say about them. So it's like a testimony. And there was a pastor, 
who made a comment. He said, over the past few years, I've been impressed with the unique approach to the practice of law taken by this, I'll call him Jim Smith. He, he looks past the immediate desire of the offended party and seeks to affect their long-term heart issue. Jim is also a willing ear, happy to listen, assists others at their point of need. He has done this not only for me, but in multiple situations, but for friends of mine as well. Anyone represented by this Jim Smith couldn't have any more ethical, integrity-based representation. It's a pleasure to recommend you to others, my friend. What a testimony for a law group. What about Christians? What about the church? How is it, what are people saying about us? How are people viewing us? Are they saying that at some point, somehow, that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's sitting back and saying, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to lay this out? How are we going to live uncompromised? Are people seeing us? Are they seeing what's in front of us? Because then I ask the next, next question, what does uncompromising faith look like? And does it require change to our lives? Because remember, that ceiling is low, and when our ceiling is low, as Christians, we can be compromising. But if we allow God to shatter our ceiling and just rise it up a little bit, all of a sudden compromise changes to uncompromise. So what would it look like? How would that happen? Well, it's got to be internal. One, it's got to be, we got to have a clear conscience. Acts 24, 16, Paul says, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience before God and other men. Now, what, is a, what does a blameless, clear conscience of God look like? Well, I think it, it looks like this for a, a believer, confessing our sin before God. I know that seems like cliche, right? Confess your sin before God. But that's what it looks like with a clear conscience, that's what it does. When we know we have sinned, we go before God. We call what God calls sin is sin, and we agree with him. We don't say we're sorry. We say, Lord, you say it's sin. It's sin. I confess it. Number two, what you believe in your heart will resonate in your life, meaning you got to believe it's got to be internal, and it's got to come out as an expression outwardly. It's got to be some kind of action, some kind of work of conduct in our lives you got to tell the truth and not a lie. That's a clear conscience. You don't want to live on as a follower of Christ and tell multiple lies. Then becomes, That becomes the truth. Our lies become the truth. So we want to make sure we're telling the truth. We want to be honest with our feelings and admit that we need help instead of covering up and pretending like we got it all together, that we're in control and that we know what's going to happen next. Instead of saying, I'm struggling. I need help. A bringing together of people. And apologizing when you are wrong and not argue to prove you are right. That, that works in so many marriages. <laughs> You're going back and forth. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's right? Who's wrong? And yet God is saying to us, we got to live with a clear conscience. And don't grumble and complain when things don't go your way. It's obedience. It's trusting God, even to the point of death. It's serving God and serving others before ourselves. It's choosing God's glory not our own glory. So then I say this, uncompromising faith may involve a lion's den moment, meaning staring some, someone or something or a call of death in the face. Do you think God wants to keep us from these experiences? 
is it that we have this evangelical mentality in America, in America's nation, that when we are American evangelicals, we don't think we're going to be persecuted to that level, so we're not going to really often stare death in the face unless physically or a disease or cancer, but I'm referring to our faith. I'm referring to standing up for our faith. I'm referring to being uncompromising in our faith, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, standing out, being different, being a light. I don't think that we're going to see too often a persecution because we have amendments here. We have the Bill of Rights, and we fight for that. And as Americans, we have rights. But as Christians, we still have that right to live here in America in a capitalistic society. However, in third world countries, they don't often get that. In fact, Christians today who are in third world countries snicker and laugh when we say we're praying for them. <laughs> Do you know why? Because what they often look at us and saying, they're saying, and I've heard this through other missionaries, we want to see a revival happen in America. <laughs> because their faith is strong in the midst of great conflict, in the midst of death, in the midst of coming to staring death in the eye. We don't see that. And sometimes I wonder if we need that revival for a movement in our hearts to be different, that maybe we need some of that struggle and that conflict in order for our bar to rise up, for that ceiling to rise, so that our faith would be stronger and it will be uncompromised. And again, sometimes we don't even know what that looks like, and God will allow circumstances in our lives to come to where we need our faith to be stretched. Well, I have a story here. There's a pastor, John Paul Sankankui, who planted a church in 1993 in a Muslim neighborhood in the capital city of the Central African Republic with his wife Mary and children. His purpose was to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in this Muslim neighborhood. So he was there in 1993, and about 20 years later, around 2013, civil war broke out around the CAR, leading many people in his church to flee and escape from the conflict. The friendliness of the Muslims began to dissipate as a growing number of Lord warlords began to recruit the many Muslims to hate the local Christians. Pastor John Paul and his family remained serving God in the midst of the conflict. They did not flee. They did not escape. They saw all their people in escape, but they said, you know, we're going to remain. We're going to believe God to rebuild this. We're going to believe that God's going to overcome all of this. Four years later, on February 7, 2017, followers of the Muslim warlords attacked, shot, and killed Pastor John Paul. After killing him, they burned down the church and the parsonage. A pastor of 25 years, 48 years married, 11 children, and 17 grandchildren, and God chose to take him. He was uncompromising in his faith. He was not going to leave. He said, this is what I'm called to do. He knew they were coming. Within six weeks, six pastors had been killed. He was one of them. He knew they were coming, and he didn't leave. He didn't hide. He didn't say, okay, you know what? i got to hide my children. i got to hide my family. we got to get out of here. we got to get away from this conflict. No. He remained. Why? Because he knew that he needed to be obedient to the call that God gave him, that if he fled, then he would disobey God. And he said, no, I will remain. And he remained, and he lost his life. He was uncompromising because his ceiling was high. It wasn't low. He wasn't crawling down, walking in his faith. He was standing strong in the midst of conflict. He wasn't afraid to share his faith when death had to stare him in the eye. 
I think often we miss that. As a people of God, we don't seem to gather that. We don't have that here. I have a picture here of a Navy SEAL. Many of you know about Navy SEALs and the excruciating pain and the journey they have to take in order to become one. This is just a foot there with some skin that's pulled off on the toe. But there was an article that I read from a gentleman who was once a Navy SEAL, now older, and he's retired, and he's a photographer, and he went and traveled around with, the, with now the present Navy SEALs, and he wrote an article that says, what you can learn from Navy SEALs about grit and mental toughness. We said one of them is um, stop making excuses. <laughs> he came right out and said it. Because he said you need to have a mental toughness to be gritty. And, you know, I remember being in Italy and in the home where my mother grew up, which was only two bedrooms, uh, very small rooms. It was just a, it was a very, very small house. It was, it was three floors in our small town. And downstairs, when you go downstairs, you have to take a bath and dirt floor. Um, they were very poor. And uh, when I was there in 1993, I had to take care of my father. He wasn't doing well. I had to bring him downstairs, and the water was dripping. So I had to turn on the valve, and it was dripping. I had to wait for a bucket to actually fill up. And I told my dad, wait till the bucket fills up and I'll bring you down. I had to bring him down a very steep, small little area. But the ceiling was very, just very low. And it was very uncomfortable to walk in there. And it was smelly and moldy. And I had to take care of my father. And my father wasn't doing that well. And I was there for about 10 days with them. They were there for three months. And I just sat there. And it was just uncomfortable. I remember walking around. And then I had to go upstairs to the bathroom, which was under the stairs in a little hole. And I don't know about you, but men, that's their throne. And they like to be comfortable on the throne. And so when they're sitting there, it's like they're just sitting there. And they're enjoying their time. But I'm going to tell you something. That was no enjoyable time to go in this little cubbyhole to go to the bathroom. There's just a toilet there. And you're sitting there and you're kind of just crouching down. And the ceilings are low and I'm just kind of, and I'm 25 years old and trying to walk around and I'm comfortable. See, we draw that ceiling sometime in our faith. We're walking around like this and it's uncomfortable. And then we become compromising because we feel uncomfortable. We want to get out of our uncomfortable state to get comfortable in our flesh. So we stand strong, we raise the ceiling, we shatter the ceiling, we say, hey, this is my flesh, I'm going to walk in my flesh because it's comfortable. But we don't want to come down here because it's uncomfortable. But God wants to shatter that ceiling and break it open, and the way he's going to do it is he's going to put us in moments and difficulties and trials and tribulations to break it, to grow our faith to where we stand strong. So no matter what goes on around us, like Daniel, you stand strong in it. You stand tall because your ceiling is high. And you're growing. That means you have room to grow. Because when we have a low ceiling, we think, I don't have any more room to grow, and I got it all together. Intellectually, I can figure all this out, so I don't need to do it. Let me go back in my flesh. We get comfortable. And that's what's happening with the Navy SEALs. They were pushing and pushing and pushing, and he said, shatter your ceiling. That was one of his points of advice. His counsel, too, is they have to shatter. You have to push your body to a limit that you just could never imagine. And they continued to do that, and they realized their bodies were reaching to limits they never even dreamed of. And that's what made Navy SEALs be able to do what you do. See, I just believe this. Shattering your ceilings requires uncompromising faith. Because that's what it's going to take for God to bring trials and tribulations to get us to that next level. When we think we can't do it anymore, when we're done emotionally, mentally, psychologically, we're just had enough. God's saying, no, you have some more energy. You just don't know it. 
God wants to take us to that place like he did with Daniel. And every situation that Daniel was in, he was confronted with death. But all the time, everyone, he passed it. Why? Because every test he passed was because he leaned on God and trusted on him. He was trusting that God could get him through. He did it in chapter 1. He did it in chapter 2. The Hebrew boys did it in chapter 3 when they said, but if not, we will continue to serve God. And in chapter 5, he did it the same. He comes out of retirement. God calls him. And now God in chapter 6 is saying, oh, by the way, no, 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 no. You can't go back into retirement. Daniel, get back here. Get back here, Daniel. Get back here. (laughs) I got something for you. I need to set you up to get my people back to Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild. 70 years of captivity is done. We need you to go back. And what does Daniel say? Uh, Lord, listen, you know what? Um, the beach is looking really good right now. Uh, I got a pina colada there waiting for me. I got the waves. I got the sand. I put my feet in the sand. I got my umbrella. I'm chilling. I got my new bathing suit. I'm going to jump in the water and refresh myself. Lord, no, nah, I don't think so, Lord. No. He just says, yes, Lord. He says, yes, Lord. Uncompromising faith, willing to stand at any time to say, yes, Lord. It's not about my comforts. And what does it require? Well, I believe it starts with this. I just believe it starts with an unrelenting character in the midst of corruption. Because this is where he settled. He's appointed as one of the three top leaders under this new empire in chapter 6. Darius is there. He brings him over. He's one of the top leaders. He establishes 120 satraps, which are like little governors all around the, the, around the area and the empire. So here we see in chapter 6, just turn with me to chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open them up. Here we have it projected here for you. It says, it, is, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account. So that the king must, might not suffer any loss, no loss. What is this? It was just for military revolts, tax evasions. I mean, he was just making sure that everything and all things... There was no fraud in the kingdom. So he set up all these officials. And then he goes on to say this, and he said, in verse 3, he said, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. So you got to understand these other guys. These are nationals. These are officials. They've worked hard. They went through the rankings. And here's now this Hebrew oppressed servant who's there, who's gone through the rankings because God has allowed him to go there. God gave him all these abilities to be able to interpret dreams and be able to serve him. And now this so-called king, who is Cyrus of this new kingdom, says, we want the Hebrew guy to lead this. I don't know about you, but I would be jealous with these guys. If I'm a national and some foreigner comes in and takes over a company or an area, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to speak out. In fact, I'll set up a plot. In fact, I'll go with all these guys and saying, let's get this dude out of here. So here he is, and he goes on to say in verse three, in, in, in the other verses here, it says, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Well, before in verse 3, it says, why did he choose him? Why did he plan to have him? Because he had an excellent spirit. We knew from last week, excellent spirit means extraordinary ruah, the breath of God. And so here he had an excellent spirit, and God was going to set him over the kingdom, and Darius was ready to do it. 
and they were trying to find a plan to call him out. But he had the character. See, no error, that word in the Hebrew means character. Fault means negligence or conduct. And what you see is that character and conduct are working together. And often what we realize is that he had this capacity to be able to be used of God, to be able to forward the people of, Jerusalem, of the people of the Jews to Jerusalem, but God wanted to set him up. They were looking to get him out, but God's plan was to keep Daniel. So there was no way in, 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 in any way that these guys who were plotting to try to kill him, that God would allow it because God had a plan. And when God has a plan, it's going to come through. It's going, to, it's going to come out to where it's going to be fulfilled. But God wants to show forth that an uncompromising faith means that you have to be a man or woman of great character in the midst of corruption. Because these guys were setting it up. They were setting up a plot to try to get him, and they couldn't get him. So then what we realize is that at this point, he had to trust God that God still had a plan for Daniel moving forward. We know in Ezra chapter 1, Ezra chapter 6, that God was using this king, even from chapter 2, when you see the statue and all the kingdoms, he was using this king to be able to move God's people back to Jerusalem. Do you know that Cyrus covered the bill for them to go back because God worked that out? Do you know when he set it up that he had them set up to go and, and open the door? He wrote a decree saying they should return. And did you know, too, that as he was set up in that whole process that all the gold and the silver that was taken from the temple of God through Nebuchadnezzar will now return back to the temple? And did you know that God was setting it up where they were going to go back with the intention of bringing the people back as God's people in their land? He was restoring his people, his name, his presence, because the temple of God is his presence, and he wanted his people to go back to worship him, go back to represent him. But they had to be a people of character. They had a people who would reveal his character all around all the world, to the Gentiles especially. And so God was doing that, and they were jealous, and they wanted to stop it. And they were saying he was a faithful, trustworthy man of God who saw and said, God, I will depend on you. He had a God capacity, a ruah that was on him, and he was able to go. Number two, <coughs> excuse me, we should not compromise our character for the fear of compromising our circumstances. We should not compromise our character for the fear of compromising our circumstances. So what does that mean for us? What does uncompromising faith look to us? It looks like to us that it's a people who don't lie on their job, who tell the truth, who don't lie in their marriage because they're afraid they're going to get another lecture from the wife. Or wife doesn't want to lie to the husband after she spent a little bit more money out of the budget that she shouldn't have because she got crazy in spending. Or afraid that there's going to be an argument. Or afraid that whenever any kind, anything that comes up, there's this stupid argument that just follows. So we lie a little bit. We just we become hypocritical in our marriages. We become hypocritical at work. We become dishonest in our dealings financially. We start lying about our finances so that we can save on taxes. Or we, we try to be able to say, you know what? Um, God understands. He wants to bless me. I'm just helping him out. <laughs> Or even for the, the most, we give to God's, we don't give to God's what is God's, and we don't give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. 
How often that we're dishonest with our finances, and then we want God to bless us, and we want us, him to raise our level and our faith to grow. See, all of this is part of character, and we're not called to live in dishonesty. We've got to hold down and say, when is it going to be that we see that no error is found in us? So we have to think character has to start inside, internal, in our hearts with a clear conscience. Number two, uncompromising faith also is unquestionable conduct in the midst of conspirators. Now, we have to look at a couple of words here in this passage because it's important to see where we get conduct and why don't we get conspirators. Well, in verse 5, it says, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel. We can't. We can't find it unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Let's get him praying. Let's get him looking to God. They knew that he sought God. They knew that he was depending on God. So they found out, hey, let's find a way and a plot to deceive him. And so they were conjuring up a plot. So they said, it says in verse 6, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king. Let me stop. You might say agreement. Interesting. Agreement. You think simple word. Just pass it as you're reading. Actually, it means to be in tumult upheaval, mayhem, mob scene. Get everybody together and ransack the king. Get him to where there's a mob of people telling him that he needs to do something about this. But they knew they couldn't command him to do anything. What they did was they just used a little bit of flattery. And how they did it was, it says this in verse 6, then these high officials and sacred agreement to the king, and they said, oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the the perfects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, all agreed, are in agreed, that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, they set it up so nicely, 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. So what does he do? He takes the trap. Now, O king, establish the injunction. Sign the document so that it cannot be changed. Yes, that sounds good. Everyone should just look at me. I am God. And see, that's what it was. Kings were divine. They wanted everyone to look, look at them as godlike. And so what he did was he fell into the trap. And according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked, and then the King Darius signed the document and the injunction. They used flattery. David said that about his own enemies. David said, even my own enemies, they were, they were coming against me. And he said, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction, likened to these conspirators. Their throat is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongue. And the king fell into the trap. How often does that happen? We even try to flatter God. We try to flatter God. We praise him. We worship him. But we still keep a low ceiling. And see, we have to realize that God's calling us where he wants to shatter our ceiling and raise us up so our faith can grow. See, it's not when shattering the ceiling is not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing because that's when our faith really, truly grows. Because we say, God, I have a lot of room to grow. And when you, when you let God shatter that ceiling, you'll see the ceiling is very, very high. So high that it's many lifetimes before we would ever even consider reaching it. Consider reaching it. Because the, every time we grow, the ceiling gets higher. Because <laughs> he's unlimited. He's in his infinitude, he's unlimited. 
There's no ceiling that he could draw that's the end. And that's what God's calling each one of us to a conduct that's unique and new. And so he's calling us like everyone else to move forward, to be a people who have an uncompromising faith. Number three, uncompromising faith requires unbelievable courage in the midst of conflict. Unbelievable courage in the midst of conflict. Watch what he says here. Verse 10, it says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he ran off, he fled, he says, I'm not for this anymore. I'm done. I'm going to retire. God, you're going too far with me. I'm not going to die this time. I want to live out the rest of my lives in comfort. I'm just going to hide people. I'll still serve you. I'll still love you, God. I'll still do whatever you want me to do, but I am not going to do this anymore. I'm done. No. Not Daniel. In his uncompromising faith, he went to the house where he had windows in his upper chamber on the flat roof open towards Jerusalem. He said, here I am, y'all. You want to join me? I'm praying towards Jerusalem. I'm about to get on my knees. You want to come and join me? Yoo-hoo. I'm over here. I'm over here. Daniel gets on his knees. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he'd done previously. He had courage, unbelievable courage, didn't care if he had to stare death in the face again. I got to be honest with you. God gave me two episodes in my life where I stared death in the face. I kid you not, within a six-month span. And I said, Lord, we got to talk. Any more of these, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I mean, my heart dropped. I thought I was going to die. I was almost drowning in a lake. And God decided to choose to say, no, I'm still calling you here on earth. See, when God gives us those opportunities and we have to stare death in the face, I have to have a talk. God, we got to have a powwow. There's something going on here. What are you doing to me? Daniel wasn't afraid. See, I would still be afraid. If God had to have me stare death in the face, I'd be a little bit afraid. Daniel wasn't. He had unbelievable courage. I can't say that I do because I don't. I wish I did, but I don't. Be honest, vulnerable, transparent, I don't. But I want to. I want my ceiling to be higher. I want to trust God more. I want to believe God has to shatter more of my ceiling because my faith is not as strong as I would like it to be. How about you? Do you want your ceiling to shatter? Because it takes courage. Daniel was willing to trust God. And he was praying towards Jerusalem because Solomon said it when he had to present the temple in 1 Kings 8.44, he says, If your people go out to battle against their enemies, speaking to the Lord, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord towards the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. Solomon was praying for Daniel, and Daniel knew it. Daniel knew it was written in the law, and he knew it was written with the kings, and he said, I am praying towards Jerusalem. Because that's where the presence of God is in the temple of the Lord. He was there, and he got on his knees, and he wasn't going to compromise. And he says, I'm looking for hope, because the hope of the return of, the, of Jews returning back to their people, saying, God, we need you to do this. This was the time. And he knew God was doing it, and he was willing to take that chance. See, death was staring him in the face because his conspirators saw that he was praying, and they went back to the king And they reminded the king 
And they said, hey, you, you can't change your decree because the king was taken back. Oh, my gosh, it's Daniel. I can't do this. And they said, no, 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 no. You got to stick with the plan. You can't change it. Remember, you signed it. You can't change it. And he was overwhelmed because he had to sign the document to send Daniel into the lion's den. And so he's sitting there. He goes and he fasts and he's praying and he's asking God, the God of Israel, though he's not a believer, he's asking for, for him to just help him, to deliver him. And they knew they were in agreement. And he did. And see, Daniel didn't care about the circumstances. He knew that he had to follow God. And this was part of God's plan. I know you and I, whenever we have struggles, difficulties, trials, and we may even have to stare death in the face, we would think, is this part of God's plan? Does he want me to suffer this much? I believe trials and tribulations are truly part of God's plan. I really believe God doesn't keep us from the lion's den. He creates them. I really believe that as part of his plans. These trials, these tribulations, these difficulties for his purpose. Now let's just look at this last part of this verse, 22 and 23. Let's read that together. It says, because he said, after he was delivered, and the, and the lions did not kill him or eat him. He, the king goes, hey, Daniel, has your God delivered you? Can you answer me? And he goes, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, meaning he protected him and delivered him through it, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless, innocent, not without sin, innocent before him and also before you. Because that's character and conduct. Character and conduct. That was the difference. E.M. Bounds says this, conduct is what you do, character is what you are. In the economy of grace, conduct is the offspring of character. Character is the root of the tree, conduct is the fruit it bears. See, it was his character that brought forth conduct. And what was the conduct? Trusting in him. He said, no harm was happening to me. Then the king was exceedingly glad, commanded that Daniel be taken down out of the den. So Daniel was taken up of the den, out of the den, and no kind, kind of harm was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. He was faithful. He was trustworthy. He had an uncompromising faith. His ceiling kept getting higher. God shattered every ceiling. See, these guys had planned to plot and kill him. How did that work out for them? Not so good. Because they opened it up. The king said, throw them in and all their family. Dag, the kids also got it. The whole family just got thrown in. And before they reached the ground, the lions ate them up. And that was part of God's plan. He allowed it. See, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.1. In fact, I like the way that the Good News Bible says, and I don't often use this version, but it says, in other words, we make our plans, but God has the last word. He gets the last bite out of it. <laughs> I mean, he devours these people who try to set up a plan against his own. Let me tell you something. You and I are bought with a price. When God sets a plan, it's going to work out. It may be difficult for us, but it's going to work out just fine for him. The difficulty is enduring it with grit, 
being that Navy SEAL, shattering that ceiling, going further than we have to, extending our energy, extending our abilities. That's what it's going to take. So what's it going to do? What's it going to be? Will we live an uncompromising faith? Are we living one? Are we willing to die for our faith? It's comfortable here. See, I don't think it's COVID-19 or the racial unrest or the political debates that are going on in our world that's the problem. I think our enemy is entitlement. I think we're just, we get, we get so messed up when people don't agree with us. We get upset when people don't do what we want them to do. We get angry. We become bitter. We become intolerable. And we follow down that road, and we try to find people that agree with us. You know, my daughter and I, my wife's away uh, uh, with family for a celebration, and my youngest daughter and I were driving in this morning, and she and I were talking about politics. She brought it up. And she asked me the question about, you know, the different political views. And I said, sweetheart, listen, it doesn't matter which political view you have. What's most important is, ultimately, are we Christians? Are we saved from our sin? And can we share the gospel with others? That's what's most important. We can agree to disagree with other political views, but we don't have to be angry, intolerable. We don't have to beat people up. We don't have to call them out. All we have to do is disagree and still smile. That's what uncompromising faith looks like today, even so. Can we even do that? Can we even start there? God wants to shatter our ceiling if we can just believe him and expand our faith and ask God to do an amazing work. What about you? What about me? When are we going to make that difference for the kingdom of God? I'll tell you right now, it's going to take grit. And we need grit right now more than ever to transition into a new world. And we need to be excited about our faith and sharing our faith. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be sharing, we're going to be talking about sharing our faith. We're going to talk about the gospel. And I want to encourage you to be praying as we look to God, how can we be more bold in sharing the gospel with others? Well, I want to encourage you this week. Live uncompromising for his kingdom. Let God shatter your ceiling, whatever it is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us today that the ceiling that we have drawn, it's uncomfortable in our faith because it's low. Hard to walk in it when a ceiling is about five foot and we're six feet tall or even if we're a little bit shorter. It's uncomfortable if it's even lower at four foot. If it's crawl space, it's really uncomfortable. But whatever that metaphor that we want to use, God, we need you to shatter our ceilings and allow it to be unlimited so we can continue to grow in our faith. Help us to be uncompromising in our faith. Start with our hearts. Start with our minds. Clear our conscience. Give us a passion with our character and our conduct that follows. And I pray you give us the courage to stand up, just as Daniel did. Give us grit, Lord. Give us a passion for you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.